Welcome to Healing at the Speed of Light. Every week, we discuss how laser therapy is changing healthcare and how you can benefit. Now, here is your host and founder of Laser Therapy Institute, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Thanks for joining me again this week on Healing at the Speed of Light. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree, and I'll be your host today as we talk about inflammation, controlling it, what it is, why would we even want to be able to control it or reduce it? Now, many, many people have heard about inflammation or have blamed inflammation for their issues, their problems, uh, especially in the last few years, there's been a big spotlight on inflammation at the root of many, many health disorders and painful syndromes. But before we get into that, I'd like to tell you a little bit about this podcast briefly. In this podcast, we we have developed this for patients specifically. So for someone who's looking to use laser in their own healthcare, we're sponsored by Laser Therapy Institute, which is a training organization for healthcare providers that are interested in providing good laser therapy solutions for their patients. But if you're a patient right now and you're looking to utilize laser therapy for some type of condition that you've got going on, I'd encourage you to look at our website. Go to lasertherapyinstitute.org. You can click on the link that says find a provider and see if we have a clinic near you. And you can rest assured knowing that that clinic is going to have excellent training and good equipment. That takes a lot of the uh, footwork right out of the equation for you. If you're a provider listening to this podcast, thank you very much, of course, for listening. I would encourage you to share this with your patients if you're already doing laser or light therapy. And also, check out the LTI podcast. It's got a little bit more technicality, a little bit more provider-focused approach on how to use some of these principles for your patients. Uh, but again, appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. If you enjoy it, please scroll down, give us a rating. A little bit of feedback is always great to see. Okay, so let's get into, though, first of all, what is inflammation? Well, inflammation is a chemical process that, that occurs in tissues when they become damaged or irritated uh, or there's some type of irregularity in those tissues. And that inflammatory process brings the body's attention, the immune system cells, uh, to that area to provide the resources to either fight off an invader or begin the repair process. You can think about this like if you get a, a small minor cut, like on your hand, uh, what happens? Well, you have pain initially, right, from stimulation of the nerve endings in that area. And then you have some bleeding, which clots. After that, typically people notice some pain, some swelling in the area right around that area, a little bit of redness. That's inflammation. That's the body's process of getting healing started. So really, inflammation is the first step in repairing tissues. Once you have that first step started, what happens is you've got the body's immune system cells in that area, they chew up damaged tissue, they start to lay down scar tissues and, and new healthy tissue to start to repair that damaged area. Uh, once that starts, you get all these kind of chemical processes that I'm not going to go into today, but this kind of chemical cascade that happens in the tissues that continues to heal those tissues that have been damaged and generate new tissues and generate scar tissue as well. That's, that's all a positive, right? Again, thinking about the cut, what happens after you've had that swelling, redness, inflammation there for a day or so? Well, typically you have a scab that develops and then what? It gets kind of itchy uh, and 
that right there is an example of histamine release, which is a part of the body's healing process. Eventually that scab comes off and you're left with a little scar or you're left with nice healthy skin again and the body's done its job. It's done the repair process. Inflammation is one of those first steps. As soon as the bleeding is over, everything's clotted up, uh, inflammation takes care of the repair of that damaged area. So if inflammation is that first step and repair process, why would we want to talk about controlling it, either reducing or increasing it? What, what do we want there? We got to understand that there are times when inflammation as that first step in healing actually causes more problems than it solves. An example of this is like a runaway inflammatory process. And an extreme example would be an autoimmune process like rheumatoid arthritis. In rheumatoid arthritis, that inflammation mechanism gets out of control. The body loses control of it, and your own immune system starts to then attack tissues that are actually healthy, not damaged. And that attack means that your body starts to chew itself up. That's an example of why it would be important to reduce inflammation. Now, some people really don't heal well. They, they have slowed to heal or they catch uh, every bug that comes around. And that's an indication the immune system is dysfunctional. It's not up to par to where it should be. And in many cases, we want to improve that initial inflammatory approach. But it's more common that people with pain, people with autoimmune disorders, uh, people with arthritis and other conditions that involve inflammation, they want to see that reduced. They want to see inflammation come down because that means less pain. It means better function of the tissues. Now, not only this chemical cascade that can get out of control and, and have continued inflammation when it should be resolving and reducing on its own, but sometimes there's parts of the body that just hold those inflammatory fluids more than the other tissues. A good example of this one is bicep tendonitis. So your bicep in the arm attaches up to the top of the shoulder. Right there in the front of the shoulder is where that bicep tendon is. And the bicep tendon has a sheath that it travels through right up at the front of the shoulder that helps to protect that tendon and keep it in the right spot, helps it to function better. But it also traps fluid. And when you have inflammation in the shoulder, for whatever reason, whether it's a sprain, strain, injury, uh, whether you have an overuse injury and you develop tendonitis, many times the body can kind of control that process. If you give it some rest, uh, you, you keep it moving, the inflammation will settle down on its own like it's supposed to. But with that bicep tendon, many times it will hold on to inflammatory fluids around that tendon. So I'll see patients oftentimes who have shoulder pain. It got better with physical therapy, but now they're still experiencing pain in the front of the shoulder, and it ends up being that bicep tendon. Bicep tendonitis is very, very common, um, and it can be very hard to resolve because mechanically, structurally, that portion of the body just doesn't clear out fluid very well. Another good example of this is plantar fasciitis. In plantar fasciitis, you get pain in the bottom of the foot especially like first thing in the morning or after you've been sitting for a long time. And so when you go up and move that foot for the first time in a while, that pooled inflammatory fluid on the bottom of the foot means that it hurts a lot. As soon as you've taken a few steps, it gets a little better because you start to clear out some of those fluids. But 
kind of like the bicep tendon, the bottom of the foot is another area that just structurally is difficult to clear fluid out of. So that's why we see two of those really common um, inflammatory disorders, the, the biceps tendonitis and plantar fasciitis. It's inflammation in both spots. It just mechanically, it, it can't get out of those areas easily. Another example would be simple osteoarthritis or wear and tear, degenerative change, say in the knee joint. When you have degenerative change, the, the knee stops moving quite like it should, and so then the soft tissues and the tissues in the joint, they get inflamed, and the more you use it, the more inflamed it gets. The inflammation is part of the repair process the body's trying to work on, but in the cases of degeneration that is severe enough, the body just can't repair those tissues, or it can't get enough blood flow and resources to the area to repair those tissues. So the inflammation just gives you a lot of pain and, and then contributes to the dysfunction of that joint and can even accelerate the degeneration to get worse and worse over time. Hopefully that gives you just a couple of examples for why we'd want to control inflammation, be able to reduce it uh, in cases where it is either a runaway process that won't settle down or it is a mechanical structural problem area for the body where inflammation currently or sorry consistently will just settle into place and be hard to get rid of. But how do you do that? How do you help your body control this repair type process? Well, there's internal factors and external factors. And when I say internal factors in this case, I'm talking about things that go on inside your body uh, that you can have some influence on. One of those is diet. Many, many times the consumption of sugars and high carb items will just fuel inflammatory processes. So if you can reduce the influx of sugars, really a lot of times inflammation problems get better. Another one is exercise. Now, exercise can stimulate inflammation, but if done correctly, then on an overall kind of body-wide systemic approach, you'll see the production of chemistry in the body that helps to control inflammation. So in many cases, exercise can be a great internal um, factor to help control uh, inflammation in the body. And then there's external factors. For example, using exercise again here, if you overstrain an arthritic joint, it's going to get more inflamed. So with your exercise, if you're trying to use exercise to help control pain and control inflammation, if you have a damaged joint or damaged tissue somewhere or a, a tendonitis problem, you don't want to overwork and overstrain those areas while you're trying to exercise and help the body recover. Another external factor would be medications. Now, medications can really be um, something that a lot of people use to control inflammation, especially if you're looking at non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen. And, you know, there certainly is a place for these, but they just generally try to reduce inflammation in the short term. They have some pretty nasty side effects. So, Outside of temporary relief of some inflammatory-based pain, it's not necessarily a factor you want to look at as a long-term way to control inflammation. Now, obviously, I'm not telling you not to or to take over-the-counter drugs 
or to change your prescriptions at all, you need to be talking about medications with your primary care provider and how they apply specifically to your case. I'm just simply saying that in many, many cases, artificially trying to tamp down some inflammation isn't really going to give you long-term results, and many times it's at the cost of some significant side effects. Other external factors that can be used to help with controlling inflammation, you know I'm going to say laser. Laser therapy and light therapy in general can be very effective at helping to reduce inflammation by controlling some of the chemical processes that happen with that inflammatory cascade. Now, I'm not going to go into depth on that inflammatory cascade because to most people it's incredibly boring. However, if you're one of those, kind of like me, where you just have to know the mechanisms behind the inflammatory cascade, I'd highly encourage you to look at this particular paper. This is um, titled Mechanisms and Applications of the Anti-Inflammatory Effects of Photobiomodulation, or Light Therapy. It's by Dr. Michael Hamblin, and it was published in May of 2017 in the AIMS Biophysics Journal. That's where I'm getting some of this information from for today's, and it's a great explanation, uh, very in-depth, very technical explanation of what's happening in the body with both light therapy and the inflammatory process and the real technical ins and outs of what chemicals are, pro are present, uh, what the cellular actions are like. So dig into that if you'd like to get some more nitty-gritty on what's happening. In that paper, Dr. Hanlon does talk, too, about some things that we can do that we have good evidence for utilizing laser and light therapies on some specific conditions. Number one being Achilles tendonitis. So that's the big the tendon in the back of the ankle, the Achilles heel there. Uh, Achilles tendonitis can be really painful. It's been well shown, well proven that laser can be helpful for reducing pain and inflammation there. Also, muscle performance and recovery. And if you listened to the podcast last week, you already know about that one. Utilizing light therapy on muscles post-exercise helps them to recover quicker and gain strength faster. Arthritis, as already mentioned, can be very much helped by the application of laser therapy to control pain and inflammation. And then alopecia areata, which is inflammation and inflammatory loss of hair follicles. This can happen to anyone uh, at any age. It's not, it's not the typical male pattern baldness or hair thinning due to age. This is where the immune system goes a little bit haywire and actually attacks hair follicles. Many, many times it results in the complete loss of hair. If it's controlled properly, hair oftentimes comes right back and does just fine. And then beyond that, we have more and more evidence every year that many inflammatory diseases can really be helped by the application of light therapy. Now, that's not to say that this is the only approach, right? We already said diet, exercise, um, medications, sometimes all those can be used to help control pain and inflammation and to bring about a good outcome from whatever inflammatory type problem you're dealing with. Now, to go ahead and conclude today. I'd, I'd like to read you a little bit of the conclusion from this paper that I mentioned from Dr. Hamblin. He says, the remarkable range of medical benefits provided by light therapy has led some to suggest that it may be too good to be true. And that, that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, a lot of the things we talked about on this podcast sound like they're just way out of this world for the potential for benefits. But Dr. Hamblin goes on to say that the most 
general benefits of light is its pronounced anti-inflammatory effects. The local reduction of edema and reduction in markers of oxidative stress and pro-inflammatory cytokines are well established. However, there's also a systemic effect whereby light delivered to the body can positively benefit distant tissues and organs, stating that even if you're not treating uh, one part of the body directly, the entire body seems to benefit. He goes on to say, there is a lot of scope for further work on photobiomodulation or light therapy or laser therapy and inflammation. The intriguing benefits of light therapy on some autoimmune diseases suggest that this area may present a fertile area for researchers. There may be some overlap between the ability of light therapy to activate and mobilize stem cells and progenitor cells and their anti-inflammatory action. He also says, chronic diseases of the modern age involving systemic inflammation, such as type 2 diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular disease, and endothelial dysfunction, blood vessel dysfunction, are again worth investigating in the context of light therapy, saying, on principle, so many different conditions can benefit from properly controlled inflammatory processes instead of this runaway chronic inflammatory process that happens in many diseases that is absolutely worth investigating how much we could actually get out of properly applied laser therapy. Thanks very much for joining us this week. I'll look forward to talking to you more about light therapy next week. Subscribe to this weekly podcast for more great information. Find a certified laser therapy clinic near you at lasertherapyinstitute.org. If you're a healthcare provider, check out our practitioner-focused Laser Therapy Institute podcast. Thanks for listening.